Well, hello. Welcome to another Scientology Fair Game podcast. Hi, Mike. I forgot what we were doing. Hi, Lee. <laughs> I like my, <laughs> my big pause. Okay, I had to get some coffee because I'm still not awake. And not oh. because, Mike, I get up like, you know, I just got up. I get up. I started getting up like at four in the morning. Five oh, no. in the morning. Yes. So that's when you really know the aging process is has begun in a real way when you start getting up, just kind of shuffling around your house. I, well, I don't know why you keep talking to me about the aging process. Well, Mike, <laughs> not because you're you're old, but I'm speaking of myself, obviously. I know. And I just but remember my you're, grandmother. You're talking to me like, well, this is something you've got to look forward to. Hey, Leah, I'm like, what? I've got you beat by like 20 years. You do? Uh, Well, no, 15. What? What do you mean, what? You're, wait, wait, Mike, you're 15 years older than me? Yes, I am. What? Yes, Your that's skin true. skin is amazing. That's a true fact. Your skin is amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's because I use oil of Olay every evening. Do you? No. Oh, because my grandmother used to use that. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. It's just I mean, the only thing I know. I mean, it's like. Well, I, don't I, say I shit, Mike. Flew. They're not a sponsor of this show yet. Oh, well, we better get them on here. Yeah. Because, There's a shout by the out way, for oil of Olay. I still swear by it. I will use it if they sponsor the show. <laughs> Anyway, I remember when I was like very young, my grandmother, when I stayed at my grandmother's house, she would get up and, you know, when it was still dark out. And I just remember her just shuffling around the kitchen and starting her sauce. And I was like, how crazy that she's making sauce right now. And that's me oh, now. That's, that's me now. Getting up, going, huh, should I make something for breakfast, even though my daughter won't be up for another eight hours? Anyway. We have more viewers, viewers, more listeners questions. <laughs> well, which we a lot love. of listeners are also viewers. True. Mike, you know. I think, okay, so Mike, I don't know if this is on our questions list, but um, I do want to talk about, because this question comes up consistently. Yeah. Did the IRS get paid? For granting Scientology tax exempt status, what was in it for the IRS to grant Scientology tax exemption? Um, the biggest thing that was in it was the end of the harassment, right? But so it's did, not necessarily that did, people. Good, sorry. They did collect twelve point five million, I think, which was the back tax assessment for the Church of Scientology of California, as I recall. So they would have owed, that that, but they would have owed how much, Mike? Uh, well, Miscavige said in that event that it was in excess of $1 billion. Right. <laughs> so that's what you call pennies on the dollar. Right. And, and just so, so everybody knows, you could look up the story of Scientology and the IRS, but it's more about what they weren't getting anymore, which was fair gamed by Scientology, the individual 
criminal investigation agents of the IRS would not be harassed anymore by Scientology. Right? Correct. Mike, yeah. And and would stop putting out freedom magazines exposing their supposed abuses and stop running full page ads in USA Today about how terrible the IRS was and stop the citizens against uh, citizens for alternative tax organization. Is that, was and, that another front group for Scientology? Yep. Cats. Oh, okay. Yep. It was called cats. <laughs> and, uh, you know, various things like that. That was, that was the payoff as far as the IRS was concerned. Right. Oh, and, 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 and 1100, that's right. 1100 lawsuits for freedom of information act materials. And, uh, challenging tax assessments and individual deductions. What would have ceased if if they if they did what they did if they granted the tax exemption is what you're saying. Yes, they did cease. In fact, yeah. the the entire litigation budget of the Department of Justice for tax matters was consumed in Scientology litigation. Okay. Well, if people ask this, by the way, people ask this all the time. Um, what can we do? You can ask the criminal investigation department of the IRS, who, by the way, is on Twitter, at IRS underscore CI. You could always start tweeting them. You could email them and ask them to launch an investigation into the validity of granting Scientology its, its tax exemption. Anything to add on that, Mikey? Well, what's wrong with that is that that is not a valid exempt organization activity to be spending tax-exempt funds on. Right. And the other thing that people can do is contact their elected representatives, their U.S. congressmen and senators, particularly if any of them happen to sit on oversight committees like the House Ways and Means Committee that are over the the activities or or watch over the activities of the IRS or give them their bud, annual budget or those sort of things. Those people, the those elected officials have a lot of a lot of influence over what the IRS does and doesn't do and they could remind their elected officials that there is a lot of potential outstanding tax assessments and penalties that could be collected. This is not just a matter of uh, doing good for the sake of doing good. It could also be very remunerative for the IRS. Right. And Mike, maybe you should put up a little something on your blog, you know, ways to help and add these websites and Twitter handles so that, you know, we don't have to keep saying it for those who already know and have done it. Um, we could just direct you. To go you there. are not just a pretty face, Leah. <laughs> 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 I shall do that. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Mike. Okay. <laughs> By the way, I've never been called just the pretty. I wish, I wish <laughs> I was that girl who we were like, Ugh, just the pretty face. It was like, wow, your mouth just kind of, yeah, um, 
Trump's, uh, that's a bad word to use. Hey, Heather <laughs> has a question. She was wondering why people like Nicole Kidman and Katie Holmes do not speak out against Scientology publicly. Now, Mike, I'm sure you have some insight as to why. And this is, by the way, from your experience in Scientology, but also you were the head of the so-called legal department in Scientology called OSA. Right. And how would you typically, or Scientology typically deal with celebrities and wives of celebrities in Scientology, or husbands of celebrities in Scientology? I mean, these are celebrities themselves um, in their own right. Right. But, but how would this, wh why have, do you think Nicole Kidman or Katie Holmes, in your opinion, not spoken out? Um, I think primarily, and this is supposition, yeah. uh, but I think primarily it's because of whatever agreement was made in their divorce from Tom, right. that he insisted that a part of the divorce agreement and settlement would include not speaking publicly about Scientology or not speaking negatively or whatever the wording might be. And he probably paid a lot of money for that to be included. Um, and I think that because both, I mean, and this, and this is an interesting thing. I, I think that probably at the point that those divorces happened, they, they were both of a mindset of, I just want out of this thing. I just want to be done with it. I don't want to have anything to do more to do with this. You know, we both know the level of intrusive invasion into the lives and marriages of Tom Cruise's wives, Scientology presented. Right. They had spies in their households and all of the staff were reporting to Miscavige and not all of them, but the staff members in the household would report to Miscavige. They were all handpicked and verified to be Scientologists in good standing. And I imagine that at the point where they decided that they no longer wanted to be a part of the marriage, they didn't want to have anything to do with Scientology anymore either. Right. And likely being um, the, the sort of people that they are, they just feel like they have an, they made a commitment uh, in an agreement and that they're going to stick to their commitment. And I believe that there is a secondary point with respect particularly to Katie, which is their daughter. I mean, she has custody of Suri and Tom is apparently not part of their life whatsoever. And she is probably very happy to keep it that way. Right, and that's because Katie now is considered a suppressive person, an enemy to Scientology, because she left Tom, you know, the messiah of Scientology. Correct, and so is Nicole. Nicole right. is considered a suppressive person, too, and in fact, there's a lot of stories that Marty Rathbun told about how he was tasked with the job of getting Connor and Bella to understand that their mother was a suppressive person and that they shouldn't have anything to do with her. And that, that indoctrination brainwashing seems to have succeeded pretty well. So I, I would guess that 
they're sort of happy to not say anything <laughs> because it keeps their lives peaceful and in the status quo. And of course, Nicole is happily remarried and has two beautiful children. And Katie is getting on with her life with her daughter. And, you know, I can understand if I was them, I wouldn't say a peep either, probably. Okay. So, um, Win Skinner, how Scientology saving the earth. I hear how, how they are selling self-improvement well to be simple they aren't all right <laughs> what exactly is the job in the sea Org? this is from leah there's a few people that actually asked that question like the okay. next one also from karen says what does a workaday consist of in the sea Org? you talk about these 8 a.m to 12 a.m days but what does that mean are you reading documents taking calls what does an actual day look like? Yeah, Mike, what does a day in the Sea Org look like? I mean, I could tell you from 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 my end what it was, but yours is probably much more exciting. Well, depends. I mean, cleaning rooms is pretty exciting, Leah. <laughs> I loved it. I, mean, uh, <laughs> I didn't it, love it, being it, in the it, Sea Org, but I, <laughs> I, you know, at 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 twelve years old, you know, being virtually unsupervised. Um, <laughs> And not going to school was amazing. Cleaning, not not my not 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 the biggest fan of that at twelve thirteen, but you know I felt like a big shot. You know what I mean? Like, look at me, I have a job. Yeah, I know. Yeah, go I ahead. Know. Yeah. Well, it, it to answer this question is uh, first of all, you have to understand that the Sea Org has people that do everything from. Scientology auditing and supervising training to fundraising to printing books and making TV shows to cleaning offices and hotel rooms hotel for rooms. public Scientologists. Yeah. Beg your pardon? For, I'm explaining. Like, we, you know, in the Sea Org, you would clean rooms for the public Scientologists who were visiting a Scientology hotel. Correct. Yeah. 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 So there is, there is a wide variety of activities. There is also a bunch of administrative, uh, busy work that gets done in Scientology. And there are a lot of people who are part of what's called quote unquote management in Scientology. And that means that they are responsible for overseeing, supervising, and directing the activities of individual Scientology organizations around the world. And those people engage in massive bureaucratic paper shuffling. It is astonishing the amount of paper that Scientology generates because Hubbard believe, uh, you know, Hubbard wrote a bunch of policy and, and organizational instructions for Scientology that talk about how the files are to be kept. And back in the days of when he was writing these, the fifties and sixties, that meant like literally carbon paper copies of things. And the policy letters the, or the directives from Hubbard that lay out how Scientology is to be administered all talk about paper files. So there are huge numbers of paper files and copies of reports and reports on reports and reports about reports and 
people spend hours and hours and hours filing these things carefully in manila file folders and it's it's like every organization is also required to report each week to the international management their statistics and that means the they have uh, a whole series like of 150 different measurements of their activities for the week that they have to report on and i mean like down to the number of letters that came in the number of letters they sent out the number of bills that got paid how much money got spent how much money got made how many auditing hours and sessions there were etc etc like 150 of them and these all come in and they're all graphed and then hubbard had this extensive body of of quote technology on how you analyze these numbers so that you can then direct these organizations on how to expand and this is a massive organization that accomplishes literally nothing in other words scientology is not expanding and yet there is this sort of monolithic management structure consisting of sea org members who sit around all day every day from eight in the morning until midnight or after doing all of these things that hubbard said you're supposed to do to help expand organizations and none of them work. So that's what I mean. It's a lot of busy work. They're not right. accomplishing anything, though they think that they are helping these organizations to grow and thus are accomplishing the aim of Scientology or the goal of clearing the planet. Right. And and listen, you know, uh, people, I think it's a great question because, and, and a great answer. I just think like people need to understand the way the Scientology is run. Buildings are run by Sea Org members. So it, there's Scientology uh, Sea Org members who are posted as gardeners. There are Scientology Sea Org members who are posted as um, chefs and waiters. And that's, but they work solely for Scientology organizations. They live at Scientology organizations, they they live in dorms. They they do this seven days a week, three sixty five. They sign billion year contracts, so they're there for the rest of their lives while making fifty dollars a week. And and that's basically. And it's morning, noon, and night. There's no real family time. You have no outside friends, no outside family. Really, you wake up at seven o'clock, and you work until midnight, and you sacrificed your life thinking that you are doing the work of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of a saint. I mean, basically, you know, you think you're sacrificing your life because Scientology is making the planet a better place. Go ahead, Mikey. Well, I was just going to, I just picked out while we were talking a few yeah. other questions that relate to the Sea Org, and I think sure. we should stick on this topic for a bit. Sure. Like, been thinking about this a lot this last week. Who are the security force of the Sea Org? Like, are these guys are like militia. Are they all Talon? Are they Scientologists and true believers? They sound very scary. Talon okay. being the security. Uh, what is Talon? 
Talon is the name of the company run by a guy called Ron Williams, who are private investigators. They are not Scientologists or Sea Org members, and they are the people who uh, look after David Miscavige's personal security when he does events. They're the guys that were up at Arrowhead when I went up oh. there and the guy popped out of the house to take pictures of me. Right. That's Talon. Okay, so they do, but they do work for Scientology. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's made a fortune working for Scientology with gotcha. your tax exempt money. Got gotcha. you. Um, but generally, the security force, uh, for the you know those guys that you see riding around on bicycles at Big Blue, or the people that come out or don't come out to handle the the people that show up at Golden Era and. Anyone that you see in uniforms, they're in Clearwater, they're at all of the Sea Organization bases, those guys are just Sea Org members. Mm -hmm. And they have no more skill at being a security guard than the guy who is the gardener. They just get assigned that job. And, you know, there is a... a a dictate by Hubbard about sea organization, the sea organization, and say, and he says a sea organization member is expected to be able to do any job, hatted or not hatted, and in other words, trained or not trained, because sea organization members have run planets before. So what's the big deal about any job that you have to do today? Oh, totally true. Like I mean, they, I've been in the Sea Org, I've been around Sea Org members my whole life, like literally you'll hear things like just get hatted real quick on how to use that, you know, uh, car or just get hatted, just get hatted, just get hatted on, on how to uh, perform an operation. Like there's no, they really have no, they think that Sea Org members could do anything and should be able to do anything. Right. Just get hatted real quick. So that's why they have children operating dangerous machinery that's why they have uh you know accidents like they do uh of course they hide all of that up and and people have asked us too why isn't anybody reporting anything about the the child abuse well who who's reporting it their scientology parents they're, they're not going to report scientology to to the police like you're talking about scientology parents who've given up their children to the sioux organization right what are they gonna do report themselves Here's another one from yeah. Ballet Lady. Okay. I would love to see the billion-year contract exposed with more clarity and why minors have to sign this contract. Also, yeah. more explanation of the clause about carrying financial burdens for life for debts for COS instruction lessons, a freeloader bill. If it was free, why do you have to pay for it in the future? Okay. That's sort of a compound question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will, I will seek to address it and mm. let this one slip by. In future, you know, compound questions will be objected to and the objection will be sustained. Um, <laughs> first, this billion-year contract and why do miners have to, have to sign it? The billion-year contract is, in truth, not a, a legally enforceable contract. And I say that with sort of tongue in cheek, 
obviously you can't enforce a contract for future right. lifetimes, but it is symbolic because when you sign a Seorg contract, you also sign a staff contract or an employment agreement with the organization that you are working for. And that employment agreement is also a piece of trickery because it says that you are a volunteer. You sign up as a volunteer for Scientology organizations. And so a Sea Org member, first of all, signs their billion-year contract, and then they sign a five-year contract with, like, the Church of Scientology International as a Sea Org member. And that contract says, I am a volunteer, and I am volunteering for the Church of Scientology International. And the reason for that is so minimum wage and labor laws do not apply because they do not apply to religious volunteers. How do you get a, an, a minor to sign a CEO contract? You brainwash them. <laughs> you brainwash them into believing that this is the going is the only thing that is really worthwhile doing in life. My two children, Taryn and Benjamin, that were born into the Sea Org, signed Sea Org contracts when they were like barely able to write because all the other kids did it. My parents, they're Sea Org members. L. Ron Hubbard was a Sea Org member. What else is there to do with your life other than become a Sea Org member? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a uh, reflection of the amount of brainwashing that goes on in Scientology that mm -hmm. people believe that this is uh, a terrifically exciting and wonderful thing to do to sign yourself up for a billion years. I mean, I know when I signed my CEO contract when I was 17 or whenever it was, it was like a proud moment in my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And your parents are so proud of you and you just feel like you're, you're joining the military. You feel like you're going off to war and you're sacrificing your life, your education and everything that you would want to be or could be a way to sacrifice your life to dedicate it to Scientology and to the Sea Organization. Right. And it's incredibly noble. Yes. In the, in the you, mind like said, of the person that is signing up, this is a yeah. noble act. Right. And, and as for the freeloader bill, ballet lady, the freeloader bill is, uh, <laughs> it comes about from something that Hubbard once said, oh, well, we've got these people that are just signing up to, to become staff members so that they can get free service. So he then instituted this thing that if you signed up for uh, staff or Sea Org and you got some service and then you didn't fulfill your contract, like you didn't stick it out for the full billion years, then you owed the money for the services that you were given for free because otherwise you would be, quote, out exchange. And, and out exchange is a thing in Scientology that prevents your spiritual progress. As long, I mean, it, that's a one-way thing. It doesn't apply to 
Scientology organizations being out exchanged with the people around them, but it does apply to individuals right. being so, quote out exchanged with the organization. Right. And part of, part of the, the, I say this in quotes, the allure of joining the sea org is that you're going to, for your living in a dorm, for your living like below the poverty line and that you're, you're being served rice and beans most of the days uh, in, in the Sea Org, you don't. You, you live basically in a motel room with eight to twelve other men or women. Um, for your sacrifice, you are getting Scientology services for free, where you know most of us, just regular public Scientologists, have to pay upwards of five hundred thousand minimum. I'm saying for celebrities because you're, you know constantly being sold things and or into the millions um the minimum of the scientology bridge mike is what estimated at three hundred thousand. yeah okay so for that mike you get to have your scientology for free now if you decide to leave science the c organization and remain a public scientologist they want the money for the "Quote unquote free Scientology," even though they were getting free labor. Correct. Okay. And to to answer the question that often comes up, is that freeloader bill an enforceable bill? Like, could you go to a debt collector and get them no, to collect? It? Absolutely no, absolutely not. But but they but your family will be told, "Hey, listen, Mike hasn't or Leah hasn't paid off their freeloader's debt." So they're not really in good standing with Scientology. So just so you know, and that basically puts you on like the one step before shunning business happens. Yes, absolutely. In fact, the first step of getting back into good standing in Scientology is pay off your debts. Right. That's not the second step. That's the first step. That's the first thing you have to do. Right. Pay your money. It's always the money. Yes, always the money. Okay. David has a question. Well, more of a little bit of a story. I'm going to just read through some of this, Mike. A friend and former yeah. co-worker told me about going into a Scientology center and undergoing some preliminary testing or something. It involved holding two ends of something connected to a machine. That's the e-meter. He was instructed to read a text while he was reading a monitor. Uh, a monitor, meaning uh, a Scientology auditor, would interrupt him and ask him what word he had just read. <laughs> he was then instructed to look up the meaning of that word. I suspect that the dictionary glossary he was to use was one uh, specially prepared by Scientology and that the words were likely used in an unusual context and specifically defined with particular meaning in Scientology. It seems that this same kind of linguistic manipulation is one of the myriad of tools used by Scientology and other extreme religious sects or political movements to inculcate their adherence. Is that right? Yes. So, Mike, this is an interesting... The reason why I read this is because people don't really understand the way Scientology is taught to every Scientologist. You are, when you are studying Scientology text, you are sitting in a room with a card table, just like card tables set up, 
and you're sitting next to other Scientologists while somebody is walking around the room. If you sneeze, if you yawn, if you scratch your head, if you look up, if you look away, this person, the supervisor will walk over to you and say, come into the other room. You go into the other room and they say, because what L. Ron Hubbard teaches is that if you do any of those things that I mentioned, twitched, yawn, scratch your leg, look up to the ceiling, you, uh, it is believed that you have gone past a word you do not understand. You are not allowed in Scientology to go past a word you do not understand. And oftentimes, you are far forced to read aloud the text of L. Ron Hubbard. If you stumble on a word, if you mispronounce a word, you are told to go into the other room with your text where they check every single word in that document. What is the definition of the? What is the definition of a? What is the definition of thorough? What is the definition of particularly? What is it? And if you don't have, uh, uh, if you cannot spew out the 25 definitions of there, and the derivation, you have to reread the materials. So you're taught in Scientology to make no movements as you're reading in front of people. And you have to look up every single word in a regular dictionary and a Scientology dictionary of any word that you are unsure of. And because of that, cult experts have said that Scientology is the most dangerous cult because of the way Scientology is taught, because you are self-brainwashing by reading and learning in that way. Which, Mike, you talk to any Scientologist, they hate to read, and if you ask them to read aloud, they start to get like heart palpitations. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's moments of pain and unconsciousness from the past coming back to haunt them. Yeah, because it in is. Scientology, you have to, you are forced to read thousands of books. We are all taught to you, uh, thousands of policies and hundreds of books. These are mandatory reading that you have to sign off on a sheet that you have read, that you have understood it, that you have been checked out on. I mean, you have other parishioners call, you know, being checked out on how are you going to apply this? What does L. Ron Hubbard mean when he says this? There's no assimilating information or I kind of understand it this way. You have to understand it exactly the way it's written. And it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's it, it goes so far by because Belesco, one of our friends who was in the Sea Org and abused by Scientology, and we had her on our podcast. But Belesco was at my house uh, last year trying, she was going to take a test. And Valerie and I were like testing her, right? Like on the, just for fun. We were like, as friends, like, we're going to make sure that you have your, you know, cause she was just visiting and we were like, no, 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 we got to help you with this test for tomorrow. Right. We're asking her questions and she's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I'm like, Valeska, do you know what this word even means? She's like, I'm not looking up words. I won't look up another <laughs> word in my life. And I got Valeska. L. Ron Hubbard didn't invent the looking up of a word. <laughs> There's normal dictionary. People look up words they don't understand. But it's like with the pendulum swing, right? Like we're like, we won't read a book. We're not going to read a book ever again. Exactly. We've read hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. yes, this is this is uh, uh, specific to Scientology brainwashing is how Scientology is taught is very specific to Scientology. And it's very damaging. And it starts at the age of five 
where they start teaching children in this way, that to yawn, to look up, to twitch means that you have a study barrier that L. Ron Hubbard has discovered. And it's abusive and it's horrible. And um, yeah, okay. What's next, Mikey? And and the other part of this also, Lee, is there is an enormous amount of terminology in Scientology. Oh, Scientology has its own words, by the way, and own dictionaries. Uh, on top yeah, of big on top of looking up there and at and us of the world yeah it has its own language and and that language if you were to hear you know scientologists just speaking to one another in scientologies there would be a lot of the things that they were saying that you just wouldn't have a clue what they were talking about they oh, not totally. a clue. I could have a conversation with anybody in like in any with any ex Scientologist virtually, and and have people sit there who are college educated, PhDs, bachelor degree. They they'd be like, what? Huh? what? Yeah, and yeah. and this is something that is, you know, studied and and recognized as one of the key key points of cult inculcation. Because it sets you apart. Right. It makes you different and the rest of the world different from exactly. the, the, the bubble. You know, I always call Scientology a bubble because it yes. sits inside a world that exists in the real world, but doesn't actually interact or doesn't actually, you know, make sense <laughs> in the real world. and. Right. The language is an enormous part of it. And you've talked about this often, Leah. You've said, you know, in Scientology, there's no such thing as rape and molestation and pedophilia. Mm-hmm. There's out 2D. Yeah, they and made up their own word. That, that, that it, basically makes it about the victim. Right. And yeah. so these Being words the and, and this language is very, very important to... Keep, keeping people hypnotized inside Scientology. And yeah. there is a huge, and we even have to be careful. Like I have to still be careful many, many, many years after I've left to not stumble and use Scientology shorthand terminology for things and have people look at me and go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a big that's a big thing. Yeah. Okay, Scientology uh this is from Alexis. Scientology basically deprograms you not to have any emotions and not to think for yourself. How does it feel when you first get out and have the freedom to make your own decisions and feel emotions that you had to suppress? Well, you know, it works. It's it, it's it, it's freeing and also a curse because we were we were taught to accept abuse and to be abusive. So although we were not allowed to show emotion in terms of empathy <laughs> and sympathy for one another, but certainly for the real world, we were very allowed to be abusive. And anger. Angry. Yes. And that's physical. That's, 
that that encompasses, you know, w- words. We're taught to accept these things and to dole out these things. And so for us, it's been, for me anyway, it's been a learning curve to learn how to communicate in a way that's um, not aggressive and not what I've been raised in. And yeah. taught and taught. That, that's to be, not and just ta- you, yeah. Leah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're not afflicted with that problem, but you know, as a no, as no, a we all lonesome, yeah. lonesome person in the wilderness. We yeah. all suffer that. I mean, yeah. I the the number of people who, in my interactions with them since leaving the Sea Org, have you know, uh, been, um shocked or hurt or upset by how i treated them is way too many and you know i i feel like i have learned a lot and i'm I'm, and i'm much better at that but like almost inadvertently i would do that and the amount of you know my life i what I thought was a great deal of force or aggression was, or, or what I considered was a small amount of force and aggression yeah. was way more than the normal person's tolerance level for that. You know, right. I'm, I, I'm yes. very hardened to being, having people screaming in my face or uh, like very abusive and very, very, um, forceful and while i thought i was not being like that to people in the normal world Mm -hmm. i was like crushing them and that that that's a, a hard lesson to learn but on the other hand i think that probably and i've said this before the greatest you know scientology talks about bringing you uh freedom that this is the the spiritual you know our goal is full spiritual freedom and enlightenment and happiness and freedom and freedom and certainty and blah blah all these things Mm -hmm. the biggest freedom that i felt that i ever attained was the freedom from having someone else tell me what I should and shouldn't do and what was right and what wasn't. Right. And, and that is incredibly liberating and incredibly um, exhilarating almost to yeah. realize I no longer have Big Daddy or Big Brother or Big Dave or Big Anybody looking over me, big ethics officer, looking over me and watching everything I do and saying, that's right, that's wrong, that's okay, that's not, that's acceptable, that's unacceptable. And that is, uh, in my view, that is something that keeps people inside organizations like Scientology. Of course. Is the... Because in some ways, that's an easy way of going through life. Of course, having having somebody tell you, you cannot read that. You can't wear that. You can't say that. Yeah. And and it's like your entire life is regimented and you have uh, a complete 
um, agreement with all these other people that are around you of this is what is good. This is what is bad. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. You don't have to make many choices for yourself. Even though nice. Scientology says, come into Scientology and learn to think for yourself. Mm -hmm. The truth is it's come into Scientology and learn how we will think for you. Mm -hmm. And that is something that a lot of people find comforting because it is to some extent, of course. but it's also suffocating. It's like yes. being comfortably suffocated by a pillow, right? It's, it's soft and it's sort of easy and it ends up killing you. And it, it's, an enormous freedom or was an enormous freedom to me to realize, you know what? I do things now based on what I think is right and what I think is wrong, not what anybody else tells me and not what someone is going to judge me for. I'm ju I am judge myself now. Well, I hope Chrissy's at least telling you what to wear because that would be. Um, that's a given. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, here, here's a question. I have a question for Leah around forgiveness and her mother. I'm still mad at my mother, but she seemed to have figured that out. I would like to know how. Well, listen, you know, it's layers. It comes off in layers. Um, I, I read a book that was recommended to me by my therapist, one of the many books. And I think I've listed them, Mike, on your something. Yes. Okay. Yes, well, and, I put a list of them. Okay. And in the book, it talked about like the meaning of your pain and finding meaning for that and purpose for your pain. And um, that is, that's how I was able to forgive my mom partially for originally getting us into an abusive cult um, was because I was blessed enough to find some meaning and all of that, and what we do now, in the book that I've written, in the series that we've done, in the podcast that we're doing now, um, if we were able to help one person not get involved in Scientology, or get out of an abusive cult, or an abusive relationship, or stand up for themselves, or go after something they really wanted in their life, or reconnect with a family member who was, you know, extremely Catholic, extremely Christian, and uh, they decided to connect back up with their, their son or daughter who was gay, who were formerly disconnected from it. You know, these are the reasons that gives our, th this is what gives our pain some meaning. And for that, I have forgiven my mother in that way. But, you know, listen, as you go through therapy, I mean, I found a lot more reasons to be upset with her. So I'm back to being <laughs> mad at her. Um, but, uh, you know, I think this is a relationship that is growing still because we're just out of this thing, you know, five years and, you know, it takes time because for the first year it's, it, you're kind of in a daze. Uh, we're still, I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing and then I'm writing the book and it, it, so it takes years. Anyway, the, my, my, my short answer is I haven't completely forgiven her. <laughs> but we're working on it. You know, she's my mother and, and God bless her. She's willing to, to try to make it better because it's not just about the Scientology, right? It's about 
as a parent, you know, I'm learning, you know, my first response to anything my daughter has a criticism for me for is, you know, I'm doing the best I can, or I did the best I can. And I'm learning that that's just not a great response. Um, as a parent, I, my answer should be, and this is what I feel is right. And it, it resonates with me, which is, I see that that hurts you. And as your parent, I want to simply apologize for doing that to you or making you feel that way. As her parent, I don't have to be right. I don't need to justify my bad decisions, even if it's real or not real. Like even if, you know, kids like to, you know, shit on their parents and make their parents feel badly about everything that we do. But at the same time, that's not my job is to make Sophia wrong for the way she feels at 13. Uh, I know it's going to change when she's 25. She might think a different way. She might say, you know, mom, when you decided that we should do this, I felt alone. I felt that that was not a good decision for me. And my response needs to be, and I am sorry. Period. Period. And, you know, I've had to work through this with my mom because that's her response. Is At the time, Leah, I thought that was the best thing for us as a family. And had I not had a therapist sitting there saying, but do you see now that it wasn't? <laughs> do you see now that it wasn't a good decision for your family? Well, yeah. Yeah, I see that now. But, I, you know, and it's all this kind of defensiveness when the answer just needs to be, I see that now. That was a bad decision that I made for my family. I see that it caused a bad effect on my girls see that. That's it. That's all that's needed. So we're working through that, right? There's a defense mechanism built in, in all of us, right? Where we don't like, we can't just admit that we're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Especially us Australians. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leah, right. if, yeah. if, if you are able to do that, God bless you. That oh no, is a, listen. That is amazing. Mike, if I'm you... learning this, Mike. This is a new thing. I don't want people to think that I'm like running around being like the perfect <laughs> Mother Teresa? No, not at all. I mean, literally, literally I have to sit there as she's making me feel bad about something. I'm like, "Oh, this little selfish little <laughs> You know, these things are going through my mind, right? Like the ship any fucking clue does she have any fucking clue what it takes to be a mother or what it takes to be a father what you know what i mean like or, or or how how much work it takes to make the money that is being spent on but but you know i go through the same thing and you the answer no idea and, you and guys guess have what? no idea of the answer what is it no takes. they don't because you know what they're children exactly yeah that's exactly right right and that I think that's an amazing, amazing that that is a piece of advice that I don't know where you got that from, but you uh, distilled it into something that I think is a as an absolutely fabulous piece of advice for anybody who has any actually any interpersonal relationships at all. There is there is a lot more to um, be said for accepting the view and understanding the perspective of the other person you're dealing with as opposed to being right <laughs> trying to force your perspective on them right. which is what being right is you're trying yes. to explain to them how their perception of of what 
happened is wrong because they don't understand your motivation. Right. And your motivation doesn't fucking matter. Exactly. And that's what that's I'm trying to learn, right? Like, you know, my justification for doing something that ultimately hurt my daughter or didn't make her feel loved or supported doesn't really matter in the moment that we're talking about it. Maybe when she's 30 or she has her own kids, she might go, you know, that was fucked up, mom. I shouldn't have said that to you. I know why you were doing that. And you were doing the best you could at that time. That's, that's for her to say. That's not for me yep. to say. I, I totally, and that's why I said, I think that's a, a very brilliant and profound piece of advice. And I think we could all do to, to listen to that. Well, and I will also still working add, on it, Mike. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm no saint. Um I but I do want to also add that I must say from observation of you and your mother the most um the most startling thing about your relationship is how much she absolutely adores you and how much you absolutely adore her. I know that you, you sort of say a lot of, of random stuff, <laughs> the two of you, but yes, I wish that I had a mother like you have. Oh, thank you, Mike. Thank you. That mean, that will mean a lot to her. Yeah. And I, and I really sincerely mean that she knows how much I love her. I, I adore know. her. She is, she is a, a, a bright light that walks into every room, even when she's all pissed off. She's, she's, a, she's a, a, just a terrific, enjoyable she does, person. She does to make be us laugh, doesn't she, Mikey? All right. I think, I think we're over our time, Mike. Um, all but right. we'll, we'll have to say, you know, Mike, at a certain point, I think what we should do. Is start yeah. to answer some of these questions and put these questions, what you know, a Q and A online. Like one day we'll have to do that as a project. Oh yeah, well you're in charge of that project. I would love to do it. <laughs> Honestly, I would love to do it. Yeah, okay. Because a lot of times we get asked a lot of questions, and it's like you know, here we are answering like five questions in an hour because so much there's so much explanation that needs to go into like one answer. Yes, I understand. Yeah. But All right, I, you guys. I, I think it's, e I mean, in many ways, it's easier to do it in this form than it is to sit and write it because it's sometimes hard. You know, yeah. you're much better at that than I am of sitting down. Like some of the, the things that I've put on my blog that you wrote where yeah. you lay, sat down and laid it out and, you know, like that one about deaths and suicides and yes. that you you have an ability to like take the time to explain everything and i tend to go yeah here's here's the bottom line take it or leave it right 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 and i'm i'm probably more like that in real life yeah probably <laughs> like with answering questions you know cuz i just whatever okay Anyway, you guys, thank you for your questions. Once again, we will we will figure out how to get these a little bit more streamlined in our answers. Um, but it does it it is worth uh, having you guys understand uh, the answers because it is with Scientology everything is difficult. 
Um, <laughs> so until next time, thank you again for listening. And Willie will uh, be talking at you soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye, Mikey. Bye.